Hello, welcome to Do The Franchise. I'm Jake. And I'm James. And we're back on it. We've taken a little bit of a hiatus, um, like all the greatest bands. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we're back. We've we've sort of had a lot of stuff going on in our personal lives. Me, most of all, I've been selfish. I've been away a lot. Um, How very dare you. I know, it's terrible. Um, if you can hear us, hopefully this doesn't actually register with, with everybody at all, James, but we are recording this from other sides of Yorkshire. <laughs> <laughs> we are, yeah, we're, we're, we're cross-state. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for all you Americans, we're across the state line. So, uh, yeah, so I'm in Sheffield, James is in Huddersfield. Um, and this, we're going to try and do this, see if this works, because actually we found that trying to get together every week is almost impossible at this point in time of our lives. Not that me and James have a lot to do in our lives. We, we don't do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but we still find uh, it really hard. Yeah, life is difficult. It's, yeah, it's life, hard being an adult. Life's really hard work. Um, so we're back with this episode. This is our, I think it's episode seven. Yes, it is. Episode seven. And we are back on Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Happy about that, James? D- yes, this is this is a <sighs> definite change uh, in pace from the last one. Uh, I actually yep. had to watch a film and take notes this time, rather than remembering it from fond memories of watching the films previously. <laughs> so I'm going to drop a bombshell on James in the audience here. Um, I found out this morning that I've lost half of my notes. <laughs> Excellent. So I get up to about, oh, I don't know, about halfway through the film. I've got nothing after that. So I'm going to just go with James and hope that you lot don't notice. Because I've actually seen this film, obviously, a couple of times. I was a fan of this when I was I was younger. So I've seen Order of the Phoenix eh, three, I want to say three times, maybe four times now. Okay. Um, Over the decade, it's been out or whatever. So I think I'm good. But James, we'll, uh, we'll see. <laughs> I have a similar bombshell to drop on you. Oh, no. Uh, Towards the end of the film, I started thinking about how much like the Star Wars prequels this is. So I start referring to many of the characters by Star Wars names. Excellent. (laughs) We'll see if you can guess who I'm referring to as we go on. (laughs) Right, so this is Harry Potter. We're just starting. We've got two minutes in. We've only just started. This is professional, isn't it? So good. Um, so, IMDb, James, gave Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Uh, they gave it 7.5. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave it 77% out of 100%. Okay. What do you reckon, James? What's to do the franchise Ooh, score? Right. Well, for, for me, I, mm. I'd i give it a solid, yeah, 7 seems to be about right. 7 out of 10. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm there. I'm going to go a bit lower, I think, maybe. I, I, I want to give it a 6. There, there are things I don't get, and I'm assuming the answer to all these things will be in the book. Uh, probably but, not, probably not. <laughs> but yeah, there, there, were, there were bits of the story where I was like, that yeah. seems like you're cheating a bit. Um, no, definitely. <laughs> no, I agree. And I, I feel, and I was actually, I was talking to someone at work about this today, Order of the Phoenix and the Half-Blood Prince, the next two we're reviewing, they are, for me, they're sort of filler. They do feel they've got a sense of they have to pack some stuff in. There's a lot of um, things that they hark back to, but there's also a lot of things that they sort of, I don't know, it just feels a little bit like it's a bit forced. And I feel like there's an attempt to go, we've got to get this in because in two films' time, we're wrapping it up. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that's how the film felt to me. Mm. Um, so, I mean, we're going to start with the film, as me and James like to do. We're not really professionals. We don't review films. We kind of just talk about them and then rip them apart. So if you've never been with us before, if this is your first episode of Do The Franchise, we will be talking about the film, but we will be talking you through the film, and then we'll probably run out of steam at some point in the hour. Is that about <laughs> right, isn't it? Yeah. Usually when we start, sort of run out of jokes, that's when we yeah. stop recording. So it's a lovely summer's day um, in Surrey, and... The grass is burnt and all the things are burnt. Everything's sort of a bit hot. Everyone looks a bit sweaty uh, at the beginning of this film. And the colour in this film is very bright, I found. I think it's the brightest at the beginning that it is for the entire film. And actually, I think the entire franchise. Um, yeah, because I, I wrote warm weather, unusual. And then yeah. it, I got, uh, like, uh, Harry Potter films always make me sort of flashback to other films. And this feels like a lot of those scenes from, uh, like, the Judgment Day scenes in Terminator. Just yeah, before. Yeah, park <laughs> where a nuclear bomb goes off. Oh, God, yeah, that's, that's, that is true. It sort of I feels a bit like that. that. <laughs> 100%, yeah, it does. It feels like that bit where Sarah Connor's hanging on the fence. Yeah. 
Um, so, and it, it it starts out colourful, then kind of goes very black and whitey when all the Dementors show up, and it goes very dark very quickly. And I guess really that is a sort of almost like a metaphor for how these films go in both tone and story. They just sort of start out kind of colourful and then they go really dark at the end and they get quite nasty. It's about right, isn't it? Yeah. Um, our favourite character, James Dudley, is in it again. He's yeah. back. He's a, bu- um, he's a bully. Shocker. He's a big bully. Shock horror. Yeah. And um, Harry is forced to use his Patronus to fend off Dementors who are inexplicably attacking Harry and Dudley. Just to uh, make sure is- my notes are clear... Patronus, yeah. I wrote Magic Stag. Magic Stag. That's the yeah. same thing, right? That thing he uses against the Dementors in the last one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've realised that the fans of this franchise are going to absolutely fucking hate me after this one's done. <laughs> well, it's about um, time because they all hate me already. <laughs> that's true. So Mrs Fig shows up and this character is only ever uh, in the book. So she's completely pointless in this next scene. Um, you've never ever heard about her in the films. She's ex- she's she's referred back to in three or four of the books and she's a neighbour of the Dursleys. But again... From a film perspective, she adds nothing and she comes out of nowhere and her exposition is pointless. So it's one of those where, and you'll find this a lot with Harry Potter, what they've done in the in the, in the films, James, is they subbed characters out. So characters that did things in the book that kind of add no value to the film and mm. are pointless in the story, they just sub them out and put someone <laughs> else in. Uh, do you remember when Mad-Eye Moody, in The Goblet of Fire, there's a scene where they have to, uh, the gillyweed, yes, they have the gillyweed to go under the water to breathe. Yes, and that is supposed to be given to him by Dobby, the house elf. Ah, who came, okay. Who cameos in the book. He's not in the film, and they just gave it to Neville. Just thought Neville can do that instead. That seems, seems fair. He's got nothing he, else to do. And this will happen more and more, I think, as this as this uh, franchise comes to a, to, a, to a crescendo. So Mrs. Fig shows up. They go back to the, 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 the Dudleys. Love the Dudleys. The Dursleys. Not the, <laughs> not the Dudleys. The Dursleys. <laughs> I'm now just um, imagining multiple Dudleys. I know, yeah. All the rooms with fat Dudleys everywhere. Um, I, I love that they're back in it because they weren't in the last one. Uh, I was happy about that. We then get an owl fail. Uh, an owl comes in, smashes into the wall, and then plot drama unfolds. Harry Potter is expelled from Hogwarts via post. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and yet again, the, the Dursleys are happy he's been expelled. Yeah, they must have realised by now that if he's not expelled, he gets to leave and go away and they can be without him for a term. Yeah, Why are they so not... happy about him being expelled? It makes no sense. If he's expelled, he's out of their hair. Yeah. No, if he's not expelled, he's out of the hair. If he's expelled, he's in their hair. So surely it's within their benefit to make sure that he just leaves and goes and never comes back. Yeah. If anything, they should pay Dumbledore to keep him over the summer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, surely they just want him out of the house. Yeah, exactly. Um, we then get some PTSD. Uh, Harry has some dreams about what transpired in the last film. I have issues with this. Do you? Go on. My notes. Uh, wait, wait, wait. This film is going to reference the last film through flashbacks, but expect me to ignore how much older Harry is now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was six weeks ago. It was like six years ago. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, we then get Harry's house then gets burgled, um, but it's okay. They're wizards and they've come to whisk him away uh, and sort him out and hopefully not getting expelled. I, I asked, why brooms? If the last film taught us anything, it's that yeah. boots are faster. Um, the wizard... Armada, whatever, the little the, the sort of Wu-Tang clan of wizards that show up, they then whisk Harry off, like you say, on brooms, and they fly to London. I've got a big problem with this, James. Yeah? They fly from Surrey to central London. They go past Canary Wharf, Thames Barrier. Uh, and I'm just going to put it out there, Americans that listen to this as well, Surrey is in the southwest. It's near Guildford. <laughs> Canary Wharf is in East London. <laughs> so, so presumably they've flown up from Guildford through South London, Greenwich. They've then flown around onto the Thames, past the Thames barrier, and all the way along the Thames and up. So I don't know why. I don't understand. Surely the people that made this movie, most of which are British and live in London, understand where Surrey is. <laughs> I, <laughs> I can answer this, Jake. Go on. Hogwarts teaches nothing. They don't learn geography. <laughs> no geography. <laughs> this is lack of geography skills. It probably is. Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, I've just put here, surely to God, they should be flying from southwest to northeast. Lack of geography. 
Um, then we go to um, Sirius Black's uh, family home, Grimold Place, and they're collecting rubbish outside, despite not a single bin being left out for that rubbish bin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I like that, though. I like how the terraced house appears out of all the other houses. It's, like, hidden, isn't it, in the, yeah. in the, in the block? I like that. That's cool. I, I always thought that was nice. And, again, I, it... It harks back to something very British that his mum and dad lived in an old, like lived in the Victorian terrace, and it's in London, and it's kind of like squished in between two other terraces. That was fun. I like that. I'm not going to rip that. No. What have you got? What else have you got here? Well, there's there's a lot going on in this house. It's mm. it's the Harry's support group. I've written lives in creepy and creepier places. Uh, there's the the strange. Um, Dobby like house elf thing that's muttering under his breath. <laughs> it's called creature. Oh, so it's oh strange creature. Right. Well, that makes sense. He's a he, strange creature. He's... Creature becomes a character later of some value. But okay. Not yet. Okay. Because yeah. currently it's just strange Dobby, old Dobby muttering. Yeah. Um, strange old Dobby. He's literally like I said to you earlier. He's just dropped in there to go. We, he's important, but we're not going to show him who he is yet. It's like, we're just setting you up. And it's a lot of that. And that's the thing that I think I, it wore thin with this movie. Yeah. Because I felt that's all they were doing is just putting in little devices to set the plot up for later. Yeah, because I imagine when I'd see him later in the films, I was like, oh, yeah, <coughs> him. That makes sense. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I, I, I then, we, we, we've progressed. This movie mm. actually shows progression. Uh, mm. Not so much fat shaming anymore, but cat shaming. <laughs> Hermione's cat is told off for being a cat and playing with something on a dangly string. Yeah, I mean, pretty much that is what cats do, isn't it? I mean, what you can't complain about that at all. Is that main um, reason for living? I, oh God, do you know what I've put here? I've put the, and I don't want to slag them off on a podcast, but I'm going to anyway. Um, <laughs> the Phelps twins are not good actors. And these are the twins that play Fred and George. They have oh, about three or four lines in this sequence at the beginning of the movie. All their lines are terrible. They're just delivered poorly and they've just got nothing. They just, they read like two people that are reading it off a script and that doth not make a good actor. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, would, they just happen to be twins of the correct age, Jake. And with the correct coloured hair. Yes. Well, I don't know. They might have been, they might have been dyed. I, I don't know. Who, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> At this point, <laughs> yeah. they... they Proved their worth because they, you yeah. know, they had a bit of a laugh in the last film. Uh, this one, they're just reading lines. Exactly, they are. They're just cashing in that easy paycheck every year <laughs> from the Warner Brothers. <laughs> Gary Oldman has something to do this time round, though, rather than being a face in a fire. Yeah, he looks good, doesn't he, Gary? In this one, he's yeah. uh, he's brushed up a bit. Um, still, I still don't mm. get why an innocent man has prison tattoos, but you know. Also, if the Ministry, I mean, presumably the Ministry of Magic are still looking for him, wouldn't the first place they'd go is his old family home? <laughs> so <laughs> currently empty, according to the Ministry. Oh dear, maybe, <sighs> maybe they're just banking on that being the last place he'd turn up because it's too obvious. Yeah, all those old, those old classics of, uh, <laughs> of, of, the, of the sort of the mystery novels. Um, we then get loads of plot exposition. The wizard media have not covered the fact that Voldemort has returned. In fact, they have slandered Harry Potter and Dumbledore, stating that um, he has not returned. This is all false information given to them by a fourteen-year-old boy, which is something you said in the last podcast. You were spot on with that. <laughs> They're just taking the words of two people, one of which is an idiot, and one is an old, eccentric, hundred-year-old man. Yeah. I, I Thinking, um, is it the newspaper that says daft or dangerous? And I've put, yeah. why can't Dumbledore be both? <laughs> he kind of is, isn't he? <laughs> um, I like that a lot. I also put a lot, of, I love the set design of the uh, terraced house of Grimald Place. I think that's a lovely, I just think everything about it's spot on, like the wallpaper, the decor, the fact it's sort of like a, a downtrodden old Victorian house that's still trapped in the sort of 1800s. And it's got all those period features and the period feature beds through four poster beds. It's like everything about it looks like somebody put a hell of a lot of time into that. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, and definitely. To, it and looks... to say it's only in about four minutes of, of the film in terms of sequence, it's really, really lovely to look at. It is just that for me, as a person that appreciates the mise-en-scene and likes, you know, I think an old, I love old sort of British heritage houses, what they look like. It's amazing. It looks absolutely fantastic. Definitely. And it solved a lot of the London housing crisis. If you could just squeeze extra houses in. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Just squeeze them all in between the other terraces. <laughs> could probably do that on my road, to be fair. 
If anything, on my road, we need to squeeze a few more parking spaces in. <laughs> um, we then get, um, oh, what do we get? We get some more plot armour. Um, Harry has to go to the Ministry of Magic for his hearing um, to basically fudge, whittle his way out of being expelled. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And plot armour, like you always say, it serves Potter most. So Harry sort of gets out of, of this by Dumbledore. Um, kind of using his wit and intelligence to outwit the Ministry of Magic and they have to concede that Harry was using magic and self-defence and then Harry gets let off. Just, um, just to clarify, mm. this this film is Harry Potter and the mm. Order of the Phoenix. Are we yet again seeing Harry Potter not saving himself and someone else is helping him out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much bang on, to be honest, James. Um, when I run out of notes as well, you do realise you're going to have to take over this. <laughs> that, that's absolutely fine. I think I'm um, keeping track of where we are. I think the hearing scene is... It's its more interesting than previous movies. I think that it gives something of, a, of more depth. You get to see the Ministry of Magic, which is a fantastic set again. Um, that lends more... I don't know, I guess more perspective to, to the wizarding world, as it were. You get to see more about what they're about, what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, there's this bit where they're worried that the Ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. Yeah. Haven't they always? Because, like, Buckbeak was killed, uh, they yeah. had the death games. Uh, the the Ministry's yeah. probably more dangerous than Hogwarts. <laughs> yeah, they don't give a shit about kids. <laughs> as is evident when they introduce Dolores Umbridge to the school. They really don't give a shit about kids. Um <laughs> So and we get after that we get Harry gets let off obviously, um, and Harry's on his way back to Hogwarts. He gets a beautiful scene with uh, Gary Oldman in the train station. Really like that, and I think Sirius gives him a picture of his mum and dad and stuff, similar to what Hagrid did in the first film. Yeah, and it sort of harks back to that whole um, "I knew your parents, but you know you didn't know your parents, and your parents are important," and blah 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 blah. And it just again, but I I like that scene. I think Gary Oldman brings a certain tenderness to it. Um, yeah, and it shows that that dog disguise is still working. No one, yeah, exactly, no one in the Wizarding yeah. World has figured out that he's a dog yet. <laughs> no, he's still knocking about in London as a dog, and nobody in the Wizarding World, despite the fact that wizards can turn into anything they want, <laughs> give any any alert that so someone serious black. Yeah, could he transform into anything? <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn it, we should have checked that, shouldn't we? Let's look back at his school report and see who his friends were and what they could do. <laughs> one was a rat, <laughs> one was a, what was it, a stag and one was a bloody wolf. Yeah. Oh, God. So they get back to Hogwarts, James. Um, oh, before they get back to Hogwarts, Harry sees Voldemort at the train station, but it's not Voldemort. It's like a, I guess it's like a nightmarish vision of Voldemort that he has. He's got a suit and- on, though, this time. He does. Ralph Fiennes looked pretty good in that suit, didn't he? Yeah. Um, I've just put here as well, it's 28 minutes into this movie before we get to Hogwarts. That's quite long for a part of film. Yeah, because normally we're, we're back at school and they go back to school a different way every year. How do those kids know how to get there? I know, because they went, they went on the thing in the first film on the boats, because that's all the first years go on boats apparently. But it's oh, only okay. everyone else goes on carriages. They did go on. They did go on the carriages in the third film, right? Um, and they do go on them in the fifth film. But this time, Harry sees that they're being pulled by a Thestral, which is a huge um, winged black creature. I've put here Thestral, and it auto-corrected to Kestrel, <laughs> and then couldn't help but think about Ken Loach's film Kez. <laughs> oh, imagine how good Potter would have been if it was directed by Ken Loach and oh. it was about a wizard boy with his pet owl who's <laughs> from Barnsley. <laughs> oh, come here, come, come here, our Edwig. Get here, yo. <laughs> it would be marvellous. In fact, if anything, if anyone's listening to this and they have access to, to film equipment and want to make a really good comedy, redo Harry Potter in the style of Ken Loach's Kez and let me know. In fact, let me. I'll 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 help you with it. I'll come down and I'll put some graft in. I want to see that film. <laughs> we may even review it. <laughs> we definitely will review it. Oh. And then uh, Professor Rumbridge is introduced. Uh, Imelda Staunton, who's exceptionally good in this film, I think you'll say. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think from like my previous Potter experience, I'd mm. seen her office that we see later on 
before and because you know i'm a crazy cat lady at heart i really liked that and i photoshopped myself into that office without really realizing who she was or what was going on uh, i may send you the picture so we can put it on twitter it's me looking a bit confused amongst cat plates I will put that. We'll put that on the do the franchise Twitter. I am looking forward to seeing that myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's one character that from the books I couldn't really imagine. Um, and then when I saw the film, it sort of immediately becomes obvious that's what she's going to look like. Does that make sense? I sort of didn't anticipate how good she could be played in a film until Imelda Staunton played her, and she's absolutely fantastic, and she's really scary, and she's just awful. She's just a horrible. Horrible person, uh, the like of which I've met many. <laughs> um, Harry's now disliked. Everyone thinks he's a liar. Um, Even Ron. And, Why are they friends again? I know, Harry's a bit of a dick in this movie, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's fair to say. And then Harry gets all uh, emotion about his friends who are all turning their back on him gradually. And he kicks off in class the next day. Um, Matt Lewis, who plays Neville, I think does the best face in that scene when <laughs> Harry starts shouting about Voldemort like a crazy person. And Neville, Matt Lewis, just kind of does that thing where he just looks down and doesn't know where to look. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm totally with him. <laughs> yeah, it's like, this is a bit extreme. This is like you've the East Enders school of emotion. Yeah. <laughs> um, Harry gets detention and is later uh, in Umbridge's office um, to get tortured basically uh, how much sugar did Umbridge put in that cup of tea <laughs> did you see that yeah that, I, it's at least three I mean there's that whole thing of how many you know how many sugars do you want oh no no I'm sweet enough she obviously isn't yeah and it's also one of those things where imagine you make someone a cup of tea and then you say how many sugars do you want and they go five <laughs> and, <laughs> and you, you just go what <laughs> are, are, are you sure this is the I, diabetes level of sugar you're asking for. I'd just be a bit mortified if someone did that. It's like someone going to use your toilet, and when you come out of the toilet, they've used a whole roll of loo roll, and you think, what happened there? <laughs> Where's all that gone? That's weird. I, um, I often wonder, because I, you know, I live on my yeah. own, but I'd love a good bargain. So sometimes when I've gone out and bought a lot of loo roll, <laughs> and I'm oh, walking through I town, that. I just wonder, do people think that I've got an eye for a good bargain, or is it just... That guy uses a lot of loo roll. I'm going to put it out there, James. If you ever live with somebody, especially with a woman, you will use a lot more loo roll than you ever anticipated. <laughs> Since I got married, my loo roll deficit is really down. I don't think I've ever, I've never ever been through loo roll as much in my entire life. And that is being a person that lived on his own for five years. Uh, I could probably get a four pack, probably last me a month, maybe two. <laughs> I think I might have gone on a slight tangent there. We we definitely got an insight into the world of Jake that you did, I never absolutely. expected. I also have a massive chip on my shoulder about people that use loo roll excessively. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, after this, Harry gets, uh, he does some lines and his lines get, uh, I don't even know what you would describe this as, they get sort of carved into his hand. Yeah. Sick, quite sick, really. It doesn't look pleasant. Mm. It's definitely not a nice. Well, obviously, he's getting detention for you know, yeah. telling the uh, truth, um, and then he refuses to report this to the higher authority, which again just shows how much there's lack of trust in the teachers in this school. <laughs> Nobody tells Dumbledore. No one wants to bother anybody. Everyone just gets tortured. Yeah, that's fine. I'm just saying out there, if anyone's being abused, tell somebody. Don't ever just take that. If you're getting someone carving lines into your hand, speak up. For God's sake, don't just go under the radar. That is a, a good, definitely a good sort of health and safety announcement to to make on a podcast a podcast about a kids film. <laughs> kids report them teachers, <laughs> sift them out. Um, so and yeah, then Umbridge um, kind of throughout the rest. I'm 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 power, I'm going to skip through a little bit and obviously feel free to do the same. Yeah, she kind of takes over the school throughout the next few scenes where you see her uh, amassing more more power from the Ministry of Magic. More powers to change the school, I guess. Yeah, there's lots of rules that get hung up. Yeah, they're kind of cool, aren't they? I, I'm more impressed by that than the floating feathers and the floating Christmas decorations we've had. These rules yeah. look like they're actually weighty. And Yeah, I, yeah, I like that. Also, halfway through this film, I've, I've run out of notes now, James, so you're going to have to take over. Um, I have just put the last note, which just says, Ron definitely does no magic so far. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Easy Ron's useless. magic tally is is pretty low, isn't it? 
Oh, God, it's unbearable. How the hell he ever got into a magic school is beyond me. Being that he's from a family of wizards as well, it's, mm. uh, you know... I think, yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? So, yeah, so I'm, I'm picking up my notes where yours have left off, I guess. So I've put you. lies equal detention equals seriously mean line writing. Where we've covered that. Obviously, yeah. Umbridge has picked up a bunch more powers. Um, my next note is about the room of requirement. Yes, we've got to talk about that because it's a big part of this movie, isn't it? Yeah, it's... I mean, as writing goes, because I assume this is in the book as well, it's... Mm. it's it, if you're ever in need of something to get you out of a sticky writing situation, a room that can pretty much give you whatever you want, it's yeah. actually really handy. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've also I've taken issue with it because Harry is already helped by all of the teachers, all of the students, pretty much anyone who meets him seems to be inclined to help him. And now there's a whole room there to help him out whenever he needs. It is that whole thing. And again... It- this is something I think me and you spoke about many times through this franchise is that there are things that J.K. Rowling sets up in this franch- in this world and then you think it's got almost unlimited possibilities. <laughs> like, why have a hospital wing? Just send them to the room of requirement. <laughs> yeah. I need a stretcher. Oh, there it is. Yeah, you could do anything, couldn't you? Why have the Great Hall and food? Just get rid of the Great Hall, just send them to the room of requirement, that'll turn into a hall, surely. Yeah. And it's going to have all the food they need. Yeah, it, it's it's probably like the Wizarding World's version of Weight Watchers. They can control the diet by only giving them what they need. I mean, annoyingly, this room doesn't solve plot problems, which it should do. <laughs> if the story's going south, send it to the room of requirement and it'll sort the plot out for us. <laughs> oh, because only oh, we were that lucky. I um, know. Uh, they then um, refuse, the, the children start to refuse to, um, they, they refuse magic. So Dolores Umbridge refuses to train them with normal magic and she prefers textbooks. I've put, kind of ironic that at school, all the kids are pissed off when they have to write out of a textbook. <laughs> at school, I did a lot of writing out of a textbook. When we had cover teachers, you had no bloody choice. You were out of a textbook. Yeah, and it almost seems like she's trying to teach them regular stuff as well. Yeah, she let's says ignore she's gonna... the magic for a bit. Yeah, let's, let's... she says, I'm going to teach you how to pass your exams, which is what school's about. And I'm going, you know what, Umbridge, I'm totally on board with that. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's about the first time. Bit, it's the first bit of bloody teaching we've had in this franchise. <laughs> oh, God. And then it moves forward. Um, she starts sort of investigating teachers. I think that's... Is that the next bit? I think that's fair to say. Yeah. She then... Um, I'm sort of looking at what I've got written down. She then tries to sack a bunch of teachers, including... Um, uh, really incompetent ones. Again, totally with that because I think that um, Professor Trelawney, Emma Thompson, for all of her uh, strange quirkiness and fun that she provides us as an audience, she's got to go. She must be a shit teacher. I'm not having that she's a good teacher. She looks like an idiot. Yeah. I mean, luckily though, mm. she's not out on her ears, is she? Dumbledore steps in. He does, yeah. Dumbledore uh, steps in and, and rescues her. Um and the kids then take it upon themselves because they're not getting taught magic. Uh, they get a message from Sirius Black who tells them that you kids, uh, you've got to start your own uh, thing now. You, you're on your own, which I thought was a really negative side for Sirius to take. He says, you're on your own now, kids. I'm like, what are you not doing? Why aren't you helping us out? <laughs> so you've got the adults fighting the battle. Presumably they're fighting the battle in the real world with Voldemort. And you've got the kids who are fighting the battle in the school world, and Harry Potter then decides to, with his friends Hermione and Ron, convince Harry to set up Dumbledore's army, which is the um, basically the equivalent of an after-school club <laughs> <laughs> for training wizards in a military action. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're, they're they're trying to raise <clears throat> raise recruits to take on the teachers. Yeah. I do, hmm. I, well, <laughs> Go on. I just like like you say, if if the grown up wizards are taking on Voldemort in like you say the real world, yeah. he's basically adults dealing with taxation. And the kids yeah. are taking yeah. on Umbridge, who is really just an authority figure who's trying to make yeah. sure that that school doesn't get closed down. <laughs> yeah, she's basically Ofsted. Yeah. And like <laughs> It's and just sad. to tell you, kids, even though you think Ofsted's evil, they're not. They're actually doing a bang-up job. Yeah, they're just <laughs> trying to make your teachers better. Yeah. It seems like they're fighting the wrong people. 
Yeah. At this um, point, anyway. It kind of, I think it's more so that Harry, the, the kids want to feel that they can defend themselves when this war comes, which they keep saying is coming. And this is one of those things that in the next film as well, people keep constantly telling you there's a war coming. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, I know, we've been waiting for three bloody films. Um, um, so, yeah, go on. Is it at this point we, we travel to Azkaban again? Um, I think the... Um, Oh, we're so amateur. <laughs> um, no, Harry has a dream in which he sees a vision of uh, Arthur Weasley, um, Ron's father, in the Ministry of Magic. And this is in a reference, again, to something that Harry keeps seeing in his visions. He keeps seeing a door and a crystal ball and some things going on and and Voldemort's hand reaching for something. And this is in reference to Sirius Black, who tells Harry that Voldemort is after something he didn't have last time. Uh, and Harry presumes it's some sort of weapon. <sighs> and then Arthur Weasley gets attacked by a big snake. <laughs> and it attacks Arthur Weasley, who is in critical, uh, is critically ill at this point. And then um, this is the first time that I think we see Dumbledore and Harry together since since the hearing. Because Harry, uh, Dumbledore's been avoiding Harry and we don't know why. Yeah. Yeah, he's been a bit cagey about it, hasn't he? Mm, he has. Considering in the last film he said, I'm always here for you. And in this film he does nothing. <laughs> Um, um, but even though yeah, there's sort of there's this return of Dumbledore, it's really yeah. just to set up Snape, isn't it, to help Harry? Yeah, and they and this is in reference to. Well, we can talk about it. It doesn't really matter because we're going to talk about the film. But this is in reference to the fact that D- Dumbledore fears that Lord Voldemort, who has the connection with Harry, will use this connection to go through Harry to attack other people um, and get to Dumbledore, for example. Yes. And Harry doesn't understand any of this. And, you know, again, if they just told Harry this, I'm sure they could have figured it out. And I think it is in the next scene where he's with Snape in the dungeon. Snape says, um, Voldemort's going to tap into your mind. He's going to use it to um, to control you and hinge you and do what he wants like a puppet. And yeah. he tries to teach Harry occlumency, which is the um, a way of Harry being able to put a barrier up against Voldemort. Yeah. Um, and then we have, then we get Christmas, and um, Arthur is not dead. Uh, this time they're at Sirius's house, I think, aren't they? Yeah, they're yeah. at Sirius Black's house, and they have a little uh, Christmas wine. I quite like the Christmas scenes; they always remind me of what, for me anyway. I think they're really cute because they're very British, aren't they? They're like everyone's in a little kitchen, and everyone's got a stupid paper hat on, and everyone's got a glass of wine. And everyone just looks a little bit awkward, and that's pretty much Christmas in a nutshell in England, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, dad, dad's had too much to drink mum's burnt the food we've got the stupid paper hat on and Vicar Dibley's on again <laughs> <laughs> it, it is it's, it is very twee yeah. it's nice twee yeah. though we can, it is we nice twee with, we can do with a bit of twee um, <clears throat> I mean we could probably wash over a lot of this because I think a lot of this again it's they do they, get, they heart back to they do a lot of exposition about um uh, Sirius Black being uh, from this house and Sirius Black's family casting him out because he uh, likes uh, muggle-born wizards and he's not a true dark wizard like his family were. And his family are all pure bloods and they're all obsessed with pure blood, which is something that we learned about with Lord Voldemort and his followers. That's what they're all into. Yeah, uh, they don't they don't like mixing with others. Is this where <clears> we we meet Bellatrix? Yeah, then we meet Bellatrix through the little um, sequence at Azkaban. We finally see Azkaban. Yeah. Um, we've never seen it in any of the films, even the one that's called Azkaban, <laughs> ironically. And then they break out and it is a scene, I think, either Voldemort or somebody breaking into Azkaban. And you see Bellatrix, played wonderfully by um, Helena Bonham Carter, yes. being broken out of prison. Yeah, um, everyone breaks out of Azkaban. <clears throat> Um, you, you did li- literally said this last episode, didn't you? Yeah, it's it's not really a prison if people can escape. <laughs> it's it's more of a hotel, uh, or yeah. or it's it's it's, it's a, a figure of off. speech, really. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, so they get out of Azkaban despite it being surrounded by the sea and Dementors. God knows how Bellatrix Strange gets off that, but she gets off. They probably had She's, a boot. She, they probably had a boot. Um, she gets out, and this is something that sparks then the surge of doubt that the Ministry of Magic is lying to the wizards and they start to think, oh God, maybe he is actually back. And this is then how Harry's friends come to reconcile their differences with him, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's about right, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and they do some lessons. Harry has a little kiss. Oh. Uh, 
It's a bit awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Just a touch. Um, but it's one of those crucial scenes in, I guess, it's it's that whole adolescence thing, isn't it? The raging hormones. This film's got a lot of raging hormones in it, I think. <laughs> it does that. I think the, the next one, if I remember, and we're going to talk about this next week, that does a lot more hormones than this oh, one. Okay. Um, and I think that Hagrid comes back. Yeah. Yes, Hagrid comes back, and he's referred to as <coughs> Professor Hagrid again. After being the yeah. gamekeeper from the last film, he's back to being Professor Hagrid. He's been promoted so, again. Again, he he must you know, I, he yeah. must just have a, an annual review. And if he's not injured a child <laughs> any particular year, he gets promoted yeah. back to professor. But as soon as that happens again, he's gamekeeper. <laughs> Fangs back. Yes. So I was happy about that. We see um, Fang again. Um, they seem to be a bit more solid about Hagrid. I mean, his house has moved places between films, yeah. uh, but they seem pretty it's, solid it, about it, where he's based now. It's absolutely all over the place, isn't it, his house? <laughs> I guess it's one of those things where if you want to explain a plot device like Hagrid's house, you just go, oh, it's magic. It's magic. <laughs> I mean, it might just be different houses. I mean, if Hagrid moved into your house, he's yeah. a bit big. You're probably not going to say no. And no, he just—he's like a squatter, yeah. <laughs> a giant squatter. Um, we then get introduced to Hagrid's half brother, Grop, who is a giant. Yes, and he's in the forest because Hagrid doesn't know what to do with him. Don't—I re- I don't know what this adds to the film, other than that it sets up something for the Umbridge bit later. Um, Grop's kind of fun; it's a fun moment. Uh, I think he's mentioned in the books more so in the films, but I think he's just put in there for like audience, um, like fan service, I guess. I think he's fan service. Yeah. I think Grop just has to be in the film because he's in the book. Um, and again, you know, me and you have this problem, and I, we've I, we've talked about this in the previous episodes, that the franchise, the Harry Potter films, they sort of, they do this thing where they drop pace about the two thirds of the way through the film. Yeah, it does. Before they down. gain their pace again, and this film does that really badly. When they get back to school, for me, it's very forgettable. The whole pace drops off after the grope bit. Yeah, and I think we get a little bit of like Harry goes into Snape's memory and he sees his mum and dad. Uh, as kids, or his, his dad and his friends as kids, and you see that Harry's dad used to bully Snape at school, and that's yeah. a big reason why Snape hates Harry. And it's only given to you in like a ten-second burst. But I love that. I it, thought it was a really good bit of exposition. But then you're back into another plot, and then another plot, and then another plot, and it's like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, like in the last podcast about Harry Potter, we mentioned that they tried yeah. to cut out some ancillary stuff and focus on Harry. It seems yeah. like. What they've done here is taken all the ancillary stuff, yeah, <laughs> and left left Harry out because when we see that I bit about agree Snape, with that. it's yeah. I, I started thinking, are we following the wrong person? Is is Harry really the hero of this story, or is it Snape? Because yeah. I totally agree with you. Mm. He's done all right, really, to say he was bullied like that as a kid, and he's come out as a you know half decent teacher who you know, although not teaching yeah. anything practical, still seems to be the most practical teacher of the lot of them. The, he seems to be the teacher that spouts the least bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we, uh, then there's, there's the whole bit where they're practising their spells again. I think, even though they're, I guess they're, it's important for the plot, it gets on a bit. I think the Room of Requirement scenes... They're said to be the kids' favourite scenes, and people who uh, will obviously be listening to this podcast might completely say that I'm wrong. I just think they're boring. I think they get to a point where they just get boring. And then the kids get busted by um, by Umbridge and her little group of cronies in which Malfoy and Crabbe and Goyle are in. Again, Malfoy is featured very little in this film. Yeah. Um, I am happy to say that he is in the next film in a very major role. Oh, that's good. That's good. No I'm spoilers. looking forward to seeing more of Malfoy. Cause he's, yeah, he's really sidelined in this picture, isn't he? It, it seems like as he gets older and a better actor, he's used yeah. less. Like, he was yeah. used more when he was young and couldn't act than he is when he's older and can. Do you know what, though? Now that I've got through this one and I'm looking at them with a fresh perspective and with you and with the podcast, I can't, I'm can't. i actually looking forward to the next one because I remember bits of the next one that I really liked and I remember it being stylistically quite quite beautiful to look at. And I, I, and I don't know if I didn't like it when I was a kid because I thought it was boring or whether or not I just didn't appreciate it for what it was. But we'll talk about that next week. Um... Can we skip through, James? What do you reckon? Yeah, I think... because I, I think, what, what have we you got, got? We've got to the bit where Cho gets uh, given the truth serum 
and yeah, uh, and she gives them all up, doesn't she? Yeah, and Harry um, refuses to forgive her. Uh, yes, he does. As, as we mentioned before, Harry's not the nicest person in this film. Um, no, he's a bit of a dick in this film. And then they do the whole, uh, they get detention and she, there's a quite a nice little scene where the, the the twins are with a little kid who's been bullied, who's been like, he's been tortured, hasn't he, by the by the pen. Yeah. And she says, naughty children deserve to be punished. And I'm like, oh, he's such a good villain. And then the next scene is the bit where Fred and George basically fuck shit up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like if you were in a, a real school and yeah. your your older brothers walk in and they've yeah. just bought up the garden centre's lot of fireworks. It's great. I actually really <laughs> like this scene. And I think this scene gives the film something. Of, I don't think this is even in the book, James. I don't think it is. I'm going to double check my facts on that. But this scene for me is the bit where it's like, oh, thank God, we've got the like the kids winning moment, which is like all those <laughs> bits in like Goonies and in, and in Hook. You know, the things that just work. Yeah. Where you're like, the kids fighting back. Great. Um, I love that, and then it drops again. Yeah, the pace the... does this huge like roller coaster down dip where Sirius Black is being tortured by Voldemort somewhere in the world, and then Harry has this epiphany, um, which again serves the plot well, but doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, he says, "I know where he is. He's in the Ministry of Magic." Because uh, I saw this door at the beginning of the film, which we all saw, because he went past it when he goes through his hearing. Uh, and again, it kind of ties that back up. And then he says, "We need to get to the Ministry of Magic now." Yeah, they need to <laughs> need to warn the order uh, and get they, serious and get serious. They um, they, they use <clears throat> the the flu system again, right? They try to, but they're busted by Umbridge, who's like, "No, nah, you're like, ain't getting away from me." And she starts like she slaps Harry at one point, which I think is really it's like the nastiest bit of the film. Although, um, because Harry mm. isn't that likable, <laughs> part of me yeah. is like, you probably deserve that. Yeah, give him a slap. Put him in his place. And uh, they, they go into the Forbidden Forest. Yes. It's not so forbidden. They drag Umbridge to the forest and they, they as, a, as a red herring, they sort of hoodwink her, don't they? And then she gets, yeah, she gets disposed Dumbledore's of... Secret Double weapon. secret weapon, yeah, which is Grop, which is really funny. <laughs> she then gets knocked off. Um, but she will be back, James. Right, because and we're going to watch the um, we're going to watch the last two films together, uh, guys at home. So we are going to be doing. A, we'll probably do a lot more work on the last two films. So I think there's more. There's more about them. Yeah, the, the, um, I think the fact that this podcast is kind of light on info yeah. is is quite telling. And yeah. uh, I, all I've put about this bit was the fact that uh, we get centaurs back, and yeah. the centaurs yeah, must good. be so annoyed at telling Harry to stay out of that forest. <laughs> they always tell him, don't they? Yeah. Every bloody film. Um, so the centaurs don't hurt Harry and Hermione inexplicably, even though they want to hurt everybody, apparently. Yeah. Then they take Umbridge away, which is really funny. Harry and Hermione then fly to London with the rest of the kids, and these are your crucial kids. One who we haven't mentioned is Luna Lovegood. That is played by... She's played by Ivana Lynch, and she's an Irish actress. She's She is actually wonderful. I can't really say a bad thing about Ivana Lynch. She she gives that role something really warm, genuine, and she's that quirky character that everyone... I think it's fair to say nearly everybody had a friend that was similar to that or someone that they knew at school who was a little bit of an outcast. She was a little bit aloof. She got bullied a little bit, but not badly. But she wasn't really a part of your group, but she was cool. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that whole character in this film is a real highlight. Yeah, she's great. I think she's really good in it. it. It's it's the one character that really demonstrates a lot of warmth. Yeah, and the, she almost takes a big part of the Neville and Ginny Weasley character away from me. I think that like when she's in scenes, she's so funny and endearing that she takes away bits that Ginny Weasley could have otherwise had. Yeah, because she she's kind of there as Ron's sister and Hermione's friend, but she does really nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so they then go to the Ministry of Magic, they fight their way in to find Sirius Black, and then they learn that they're not actually, Sirius isn't actually there, and it's a trap. Shock yeah. horror. Lucius Malfoy, the wonderful Jason Isaacs, who I can't say more about, and I think having having watched all these films, had I had to meet any man or any any character, any actor from these films, it would be Jason Isaacs. I'd just love to meet him. He, I'd love to talk good. to him about this film. He's such a wonderful actor and everything he's in. And he's really, he's really good as the bad guy. He's he really makes good. a great bad guy. 
Yeah. And he's really bad in this one. I like that a lot. And do, do they, is it this point that they're in the the Hall of Prophecy? Yeah, and Bonham Carter's there as well as Bellatrix, and they have these wonderful exchanges. And then we find out that Harry is uh, he's there to lead them to the prophecy, which is what Voldemort's been after the whole time. It, it's which, all been a master plan. Yeah. And it's, it's all like reliant a, on, on places that have names that are so on the nose it's untrue. So you've got the Room of Requirement, <laughs> And then you've got the Hall of Prophecy. The yeah. only place that doesn't stick to its name is the Prison of Azkaban. <laughs> Which isn't a prison. It's not a prison. It's, it doesn't keep anybody there. It's more of a walk-in centre, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, oh, God. And then they do... The, I think these scenes... To say this film has had a lot of time to prepare us for what's to come, it, it for me, it rushes through these scenes with a with a with a bit too much pace in a way. It's dropped pace halfway through the film. It picks up pace when we get to um, the Ministry of Magic. And in the book, I remember these being my favourite scenes. And people that are listening to this podcast who are fans of the books and the films will probably agree with me in that I wanted more of this do and you, I got less. Do you, do you get the impression though that the people <clears throat> that made this film at mm. some point had seen one of the Jason Bourne movies and thought? Oh, shaky action cam. That works really well. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think they also did what we do on our podcast, where we get to this point of our podcast and go, shit, we're running out of time. <laughs> quick, <laughs> quick, bolt some stuff on. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they do that. They they get the prophecy and Harry listens to it. And it is from um, the Professor uh, Trelawney, uh, Emma, Emma Thompson. Yes. And she's made this prophecy years before, which says... Um, he who has the power to vanquish the Dark Lord is coming and he will have power the Dark Lord knows not. I think there's more to it in the book, but the gist of this prophecy is that there is a boy who will be born and he will have the powers and the wizarding capability to vanquish Lord Voldemort. And this is the actual catalyst that sets Voldemort off on his path to kill Harry's parents. Right. And it's not really explained ever. So unless you know the, unless you know the books, you don't really get that. At all in this film. This this is the point for me in the film where I have started in my notes making mm. comparisons between this film and the Star Wars prequels because <laughs> at this Go point on. Harry is Anakin, yeah. <laughs> Voldemort is the Emperor, <laughs> yeah, loving it so far, and and Dumbledore is Yoda. <laughs> so if occasionally I get all these names mixed up that is why because I've written <laughs> written these down because it is basically that that, that prophecy uh, having a power that he knows not it's all very much like he will bring balance to the force he will yeah, no, it's, it, and the way they, they shoot this uh, if you think back to uh, Revenge of the Sith is it where you've got Yoda fighting the Emperor mm. it's very yeah. very similar yeah, very similar. Yeah, ending. there is a very similar ending, and yeah, and then Harry gets this prophecy. They fight the bad guys um, again, like you said. Harry's plot armor always comes back to save him. Sirius Black appears. It's a wonderful moment, actually. I like that bit where Sirius appears behind Jason Isaacs, and uh, Jason Isaacs has finally got the prophecy in his hand. He's finally all, after all this fighting. He's got this ball, and he holds it up really proud. And then Sirius punches him in the face. Yeah, <laughs> and he falls to the ground, and in falling, drops the prophecy and breaks it. Aww. And that I think is the bit that I was most happy with when I watched this film the first time. And I think even now that beat works really well. In that it's like he could have done magic, but he punches him instead. Yeah. And then they all start fighting. There's a lot of flying about. It's a little bit discombobulating. I don't really, I don't care for the wizard, flicky, wandy, lightsaber jeweled stuff. Do you, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm more bothered about the, I, I, for me, I prefer the, the somber bits and the bits between Sirius and Harry. Yeah. Um, the bits between Harry and his friends when they laugh and they giggle together. And there's a little bit later where they play back through a lot of the times that Harry's had interactions with people that he loves. And I think they're the, the bits of the film that I prefer to all the action shooty fly stuff. I think that for me is a bit, well, it's lost on me. I don't really care about it. it, it, it the <laughs> film starts to show that the people making the films aren't entirely sure how wands need to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also, I guess it's the first time we've had dueling, isn't it, in Harry Potter? They haven't really had many action sequences at the end of the films, not to this extent anyway. Um, Ray Fiennes then enters the fray, and I think that's a good bit. There's a bit because Harry's about to, he, well, he looks like he's about to kill Helena Bonham Carter's character, Bellatrix. He hesitates and 
Dumb, I think Voldemort says something about him hesitating. He's got to mean it when he hurts people. And uh, Voldemort does that sort of wispy thing where he appears behind Harry and you're not sure if he's real or not. But it, then when Harry turns around, oh, he's very real. Yes. He's there. Yeah, he's, he's actually he's, there. He's definitely there. And it's definitely a, a give in to your hate mm. <laughs> kind of yeah, speech. Yeah, very much it? like the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> Thanks, James. Ruined that for me now. Um, but um, I, I, I genuinely love the bit where he sort of like, I think he just like whacks the wand out of Harry's hand and says, you're so weak. Yeah. And it's a really... I, my hair stood up on the back of my neck, and probably the first time that's happened in the whole franchise so far. I think him coming in, as Ray finds, in his wonderful flowing sort of cape again. Yeah. Um, looking better than he did in the last one. And he's just so... He's so bad. He's so evil. And he's he's made... And I think because they build him up really well in this film, that we haven't really seen him in this film, but we're aware that he's around somewhere. To say that he appears right at the end... It's the bit that you, I think the bit that we've all been waiting for. And we think he's about to fight Harry, but no, no, no. Dumbledore appears yes. and he takes on Dumbledore instead. And I thought that is cool. It's a cool moment. It's so good. It is. It's really cool. And there's there's a probably brief the best moment. bit in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you, they, they seem fairly equal. Um, mm. And then there's, there's that bit where Harry starts to turn. Yeah, uh, and he, he gets per, sort of possessed, doesn't he? When Voldemort realizes he can't beat Dumbledore in combat, yeah, he he sort of vanishes into thin air and then goes into Harry's body. Yeah. I think <laughs> I think that's that, I think that's what's going on. At, but Harry fights back because uh, yeah. he's strong with the Force, and yes, and he has mates, <laughs> he has friends, friends who yeah. help him loads, but he and mostly I, hates them. Yeah. And again, that's the bit for me that I much preferred to all the actiony stuff. Is there's a moment at the end where they're in, he's inside Harry's soul, mm. and he's trying to like unhinge Harry and take over him. And then Dumbledore says something like, "You're not like him, even though you think you are. It's not what you do like each other. It's how you're not like each other that's important." Yeah. And then Harry has that moment where he sees all of his friends, all the people that he loves. He sees Sirius. Uh, spoiler alert as well, we've not talked about it. Sirius is dead. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, Gary Oldman uh, earns his money in this one. And yeah. he's, he's gone. He's, he's, yeah. he's done with. Uh, and that and is the, the pivotal moment in the book where everyone started to like just go, oh my God, she's killed the main character. And she does. He is dead. He's gone. He's gone. Uh, yeah. No coming back. And uh, no... no false ghost as far as yeah, I can he, tell. he falls through this archway james which i don't think is clear but in the um in the novel the archway is the it's called like the room of death oh. um, and that archway is literally the gate into the next world and it, they have they have it in the department of mysteries is it called? yeah and it's so they can they can understand death so they use the the room of death to study that archway to figure out how the other side works could you but just repeat you- that name again I think it's the uh, the archway of death. The archway of death, and someone <laughs> dies again. Very on the nose. Yeah, he, they call it the veil. It's because in the book it's got like a it's a wispy veil of cloth that oh, he goes okay. behind. In the movie, it's not so much a cloth as much as it's like a sort of water, isn't it? It's, it, it's the Stargate. Behind. Yeah, it's like Stargate. <laughs> he goes through the Stargate and disappears. But yeah, Sirius goes behind it and then he can't come back. That is, that's the rule. He has gone to the dead world. He's gone. Yeah. So, um, so Harry fights back <clears throat> through uh, through Voldemort's control because he's got mates and a dog who is also his godfather. Um, yeah, and it's quite a wonderful bit. And then Harry is able to expel Voldemort yeah. through positive thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we so we he he vanishes. Voldemort is then expelled from Harry, which is really cool. And I don't know what happens. I think time sort of stands still for a second. Yes. Um, did you get that? I, I I think that's what happens. And again, I'll probably have to go back it, and watch it again. It gives the rest of the Ministry of Magic <clears throat> time to show up. Yeah, and Voldemort has the opportunity to kill Harry, and doesn't. Yeah. And I think, if anything, that's one of the most interesting bits of the film, that he stands over him kind of to taunt him into saying I will beat you but not yet yeah and as that happens the Minister of Magic appears and it's the really the the, the, the penny drop moment where uh, Fudge comes out of the little fireplace and goes he's back and then Voldemort vanishes yeah it's like, I love that I thought it was really good it, it's great because it then turns these people into basically the climate change deniers of the wizarding world yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's like Donald Trump, isn't he? Yeah. Like Trump going outside the White House and everything's just fucking frozen. And he's like, ah, yeah. shit, it's it like, is real. It, oops. It's the biggest yeah. oops moment. 
It is, and it's really good. And I think that that I, I like the ending. I think it's. I think the 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 climax is solid. It does work for me on some levels. On some levels, not so much. Again, I think I liked more of the. Um, expel Voldemort via uh, he tries to get into your soul that stuff works for me yeah. the action and the flying and the silliness and the fast camera movements doesn't really work for me there is more of that later but it is done I think for me in a slightly better way yeah um, this well, is Dave, this is David Yates's first outing with Harry Potter so David Yates is the man that directed this film yeah it's his first outing David takes us from Order of the Phoenix all the way to the end now James he's the same director so they kept David Yates and he does all of them. He's even done the two prequels, which are called um, Fantastic Beasts. Oh, okay. He's now working on, he's working on that franchise as well. So they clearly like him. He clearly works for Warner Brothers well and, and works for Rowling's Vision well. So I think they've sort of kept him in the loop and he does that now. He's like the Harry Potter man. Excellent. The Harry Potter seems like, man. Seems like a really nice guy. I've seen him in interviews. Um uh, and people that I, you know, people that I've met before who have met him said he's a nice guy. Seems like a proper nice, solid dude. So yeah, and I, I like this film. I think it works to its credit. I think I prefer it to stylistically. I think it works better than the Goblet of Fire. It's definitely got more gravity to it. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's, there's there's more weight to this. Um, it's uh, at the end. It's that realization that they're obviously. Harry and Voldemort are destined to yeah. fight one another, which uh, works out great for a franchise because it means there's another film. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, not in this episode, but it is coming, kids. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the, the school year ends again with very little schooling. Yeah. Like, and then are they actually the... in school at all, really? Like a proper classroom? Yeah. They're in detention. They, and They don't do a lot of school, do they? No, hardly any. Um, um, and then so, Harry yeah, reminds his friends that they're still mates, despite yeah. doing very little to show them this in the entire film. Yeah, so Fudge is forced to admit to the newspapers that Voldemort is all around. They, everyone starts like gearing up for the next war uh, that's coming. Uh, Dumbledore comes back as headmaster, Umbridge is sacked. And they do that quite nice little montage through newspapers, which I quite liked. Um, that works for me. I thought it was cool. They do like yeah. a little montage of what's happening through news and that was really good. It works quite well throughout the film. Um, and then uh, Fudge is forced to retire. He can't be a minister anymore. He has to leave. Uh, obviously, because he's a climate change denier. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So Dumbledore then explains to Harry why he distances himself to it. He apologises to Harry again, even though he apologised in the last one. And then Harry and Dumbledore discuss the prophecy, which uh, I've got it here, paraphrased. Uh, Neither can live whilst the other survives. So that's basically what we got from this film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it. it was a long film to get to the point where they realised <laughs> the bad guy, they're probably going to have to get rid of him. He's probably going to have to fight the good guy at some point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and that was it, really. Um, that's how it finishes. And it, I, it's, yeah, it's okay. It's good. It works for me. Again, I don't think I would go as far as you as to say it's a seven. Uh, I'd probably give it a six. Yeah. Um, I think it got quite a good release when it came out. Uh, it got a good reception. It's the longest book, James. So it's the biggest book of all of them. It, it but kind it's of makes shortest, sense. But it's the shortest in film, which is really strange, isn't it? You know why? Because they took all the ancillary bits that don't matter and they made a film out of that. I think they forgot it, uh, the yeah. need to make me like Harry as well. Yeah, like, and I think they've yeah, Harry's quite dull in this film. Yeah. He's a little bit like Superman is in the Batman versus Superman film where they just kind of forget to give him anything to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, he's the main character. He's the reason you've turned yeah. up to watch the film, but you're not meant to like him, and none of his friends like him for most of the film. <laughs> and uh, he's, his godparent dog creature thinks he's great, but realistically, <laughs> they're just going to use him as a tool of war. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry. No, I wanted to say, you were absolutely right on that. Um, I've also added that Ron does not an ounce of magic again. He does, however, stand up in the room of requirement to do a spell, but is quickly thwarted by Hermione. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this is just proof that even the room of requirement doesn't require Ron to do magic. Not at all. There's no magic. Zero. No. Zilch. Zilcho. <laughs> zero, zero magic. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> if anybody saw Ron do any magic, please... Message into the podcast, put us on Twitter, do the franchise, hit us up, let us know. I want to know if Ron does magic. Even Not even in this film, in any film. If you've seen Ron do magic, let me know. I, I'm willing to accept Ron doing magic in the book. I'll make that exception for Ron. 
yeah, fine. Not in the movie. He hasn't. We're not in the books. We're doing the films. And he's not done it in the films, James. No. He's not done a single fucking ounce of magic in the films. <laughs> um, I've got the five facts. Are you ready for five facts? I am ready for five facts. A B E Fact number one. Um, Great this, start. <laughs> <laughs> so this is in uh, relation to Ivana Lynch. Uh, Ivana Lynch, who plays the uh, wonderful Lena Lovegood, uh, a very good character in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the runners uh, on this movie told Helena Bonham Carter that Ivana Lynch was a really big fan of Tim Burton's films. And Helena Bonham Carter being married to Tim Burton at that time actually invited Lynch round for dinner at their house. So Bonham Carter and Burton had Ivana Lynch round for a special dinner so they could talk to her and just have a laugh. And I thought that was a really sweet thing that you don't get many stories like that. And I really thought that was a nice little little fact. Uh, Number two, uh, it's another Helena Bonham Carter one. Um, Bonham Carter uh, was a bit tenuous about her role as the sexy, promiscuous-looking, sort of freaky uh, wizard witch, what's her name, Bellatrix. Yeah. So took it upon herself to wear chicken fillets in her bra to make her breasts look larger. <laughs> <laughs> it's an unusual. I, say it. I found that fact and I am saying it's 100% true. <laughs> <laughs> it was on the internet. So we it's are repeating internet. it. <laughs> it's, on, it's on the internet. It's definitely true. <laughs> um, number three, the Ministry of Magic set took 22 staggering weeks to build. It is the biggest set on the film and is used for less than 10 minutes. <laughs> wow. So I like that fact. I think it does pop up again. No, it definitely does. It is. It's in, it's in one later, so I imagine they probably kept that. Did you Is this? Did you see this at Harry Potter World? Is this I, at Harry Potter? Studios? Yeah. There's, there's definitely bits of it. Like, uh, I yeah. remember seeing um, a, st- a statue of a series of people holding something up. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, because I think that, that, I, so. I remember seeing that bit, and it was in the bit with Umbridge's uh, backdrop that I uh, I kind of nicked. Nice. Uh, so yeah. Uh, so number three, no, number four, it's number four. Um, during the breakfast scene in the Great Hall, boxes of cereal can be seen across the table. They have the names Cheery Owls and Pixie Puffs, with colour schemes that match those of Cheerios and Sugar Puffs. Nice. <laughs> Oh, that's good. I liked that. I never saw it. I had to go back and find that, and I actually did find a picture of it on, uh, I think it was on Google. So yeah, that is. They just like put some. I thought it was that was a cool fact. That's a cool little um, Easter egg. Number five, um, Padfoot, Sirius Black's canine form, um, was played by a Scottish deerhound named Claude. <laughs> Claude, excellent. Claude. He did a good job. It's C L E O D, and it's Scottish. Is it Claude, oh. or Cloud, or Cleod? I don't know. <laughs> Hang on. Folks, Sirius's Black, Sirius Black's dog form was played by a dog who has I'm a even, name. I, I'm even trying to do speak and my iPhone won't let me do it. <laughs> so I'm just going to go with Claude. I don't think that you can blame your iPhone for that because we are trying to do speak and also failing. Yeah, it's not good on a podcast when you can't talk, is it? No. It's sort of critical to the art form, really. Um, I've got one bonus, bonus fact, James. Ooh, um, bonus round, I like this. It's not. I mean, I, I'm gonna. I'm putting it down a bit now. I'm gonna say it's a bit of a shit fact, but I'm gonna go with it. Many fans were critical of the scene where Voldemort is at the train station dressed in a Muggle suit, um, saying it's completely out of character with Voldemort. He wouldn't do such a thing, and it's silly. David Yates, director and producer David Heyman, both defended the scene. Um, they had different takes on it, but Yates explained that Voldemort's. Uh, it was Voldemort's way of taunting Harry by going through his mind. Um, and making it so that Voldemort could appear anywhere that Harry was and could watch Harry from anywhere. Um, Heyman said that it was a figment of Harry's imagination and it was showing that Harry was paranoid and that Voldemort was starting to go through his mind. So two different views. Mm. Again, I think the Voldemort train station scene is open to interpretation, basically. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think... When they say it's silly, uh, they're saying that someone wearing a regular suit... Is more ridiculous than someone who wears a Hessian sack. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay, okay. Uh, wow, we, we we found this audience's level. Um. Right, it's time for our last bit, James. The last it's, bit. 
It's the shit merchandise competition of the week. Excellent. What, what have you got for me? I have, because he is my favourite character, because yeah. I will maintain until the end of this series of films that Dobby was always a free elf, I have found the one instance where Dobby isn't necessarily a free elf. It's when oh, you God. have Dobby's head mounted as if he'd been hunted on a little oh, shield plaque. That's awful. Where'd you find that? It's it's uh, on a list of terrible um, Harry Potter-related merchandise, which includes the vibrating Nimbus 2000 we've already yeah. covered. Go, um, but you can. It says you too can now own a wall mount of Dobby's presumably taxidermied <laughs> head to remind you that life isn't fair and that death is inevitable. <laughs> is it a real house elf? Oh, no, I'm not going to ask that question. <laughs> um, wow. I've got... I think this is from Menkind, so I'm going to plug there for Menkind, the shop. Um, it's a bottle of Harry Potter Polyjuice Potion. Oh! <laughs> now, I've not looked into this, but I don't think it works. <laughs> <laughs> Does it just give you a really disagreeable personality? <laughs> or literally turns you into someone else for a bit. <laughs> that, that would, yeah, that would be so, worth paying for. It's shit merchandise, but it's merchandise, I guess. Yeah, yeah I, it, quali- it qualifies for this list. <laughs> Absolutely. I will be endeavouring to find some even worse merchandise for next week. I had to admit that I had to rush with this one. Um, so, yeah, James, that's episode uh, seven. That's Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix. Covered. Bang. Boom. Done. done. We are, yeah, um, we're out of We're here. moving on to the Half-Blood Prince, which will be our next episode. And we are... Um, as me and James are literally sick of Harry Potter now, trying to get through them as quickly as possible. <laughs> um, anything else, James? Uh, no. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what the Half-Blood Prince is about, because my initial impressions of Order of the Phoenix were completely wrong. No Phoenix, yeah. no no ordering at McDonald's. No no order at all. No, no it was just chaos. Yeah. Um, the next one, I'm yeah, I'm interested to see your thoughts on the next one. We might even hook up to watch that one. Yeah. Um, and me and James will either be in the same room next week or we'll be over the air again like this. So it depends on um, how convenient our schedules are. But what we're going to endeavour to do is give you more of this content and get it out as quick as possible. And if you comment on our Twitter, we will absolutely be reading those out next week. And that is at Do The Franchise. So please get in touch with us on Twitter. I will be setting up an email link uh, in the near future. So you can send an email straight to me and James and we'll read it out. And we'll talk about your uh, what you've got to contribute. So we want to get people involved. I'm really yeah. disappointed that no one's managed to send us an owl yet. <laughs> like an actual owl? <laughs> an owl with a message. Oh dear, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. (laughs) (laughs) Do we get to keep the owl or does the owl go back? I mean, I don't know. I don't know how owls work, Jake. We probably shouldn't be responsible for owls. Don't send any owls. Emails are fine. Tweets are good. Don't send owls to us. But not actual owls. Absolutely. That's it. That's it for this week. And we'll catch you all later next week with uh, episode eight. Episode eight. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Off we go. Boom. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.